Hey everyone, it's Dijon. Hope you're all doing well. I just wanted to say if you're a part of this community and you want to see it grow, please subscribe and follow this channel wherever you are listening. Give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share it with the homies. Thanks. Welcome to the Souls of Society community. We're building a new world here. It's based on connection, compassion, and collaboration. Join us as we explore how to create a new earth. Enjoy the Heart Center conversation. I'm Dijon. Welcome to the tribe. Bless. All right, Souls family, I'm here with the man, Andrew Seven Seely, right here. How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing blessed, feeling great. Another beautiful day here in paradise. I'm really feeling energized today. I felt like very energized today. I think it's the Leo moon. <laughs> oh, is it a Leo moon? Yeah, it's a Leo moon today. And my, my moon is actually Aries, but my rising is Leo, so feeling very fiery like let's go (laughs) (laughs) i feel you i feel you i feel energized today too like i was mentioning due to these self-care practices which i know that you are very up on your game on all those practices for those of you that are not familiar with andrew he is a really world-class amazing yogi in all senses of the word and he's been a huge inspiration in my life to become more attuned. So I'm really excited to have him on for him to share his his journey and his wisdom with all of you. So thanks for being here, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. It's a blessing to be here with you, Dijon. I, I really appreciate our friendship and it's really beautiful to be able to connect uh, no matter where we are in the world and to be able to share that which we feel to be evident towards bringing us to a higher vibration. Amen. Amen. And you are in Costa Rica right now, correct? Yes, I'm currently in Costa Rica. Very blessed to be here. Just had the opportunity right before the whole quarantine thing happened to be here with a friend of mine to create a online vegan course and uh, really help people make that transformation towards a vegan diet. And, you know, it was a long time coming and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to head over that way. And then the whole quarantine and crazy things started happening. So it just was perfect timing, world aligning. Mm. Very cool. I've been to Costa Rica before a few times and the motto there is Pura Vida, which means pure life. And it it feels really genuine. Like Costa Rica so far in my travels has been the happiest place I've ever been to. And uh, it's pretty magical. Yeah. I'm wondering what the energy has been like. I mean, I know what San Diego has been like since I've been here and how quarantine has affected the dynamics of interaction here but what is it like there in Costa Rica yeah Costa Rica is definitely a lot more liberal in the sense that you know there's people still walking around without masks there's a lot of people who are you know still doing their daily running their daily biking their daily hiking all of the national parks are closed and all of the beaches are closed so they're definitely putting forth a full effort to make sure that they beat the curve and it actually looks like they have considering that the rates of actual infected people is going down. And there's only been six people who have passed away from COVID-19. And so it's a, they're doing their job. They're definitely doing their, their due diligence to make sure that people are safe. And they're also recognizing that people still have lives and that they still have the desire to go out and work out and, you know, make a living and whatever it is. So the, the curfew has been really lenient. We have a 5am start time and then you're supposed to be in your house by 10pm. So that really leaves a lot of space for people to be able to live their lives the way that they wish to live them while at the same time respecting and honoring the curfew so that they make sure that, you know, no bars are open, no nightlife, that kind of thing. So Mm. it's a, it's a really, really beautiful thing obviously to be here as well because you know you have 
the opportunity to go to different waterfalls that are not in the national parks and, you know, different nature walks and hikes and that kind of stuff. So it really does bring a, a deeper sense of connection to nature while still being in quarantine. Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you contrast our talk about the lax nature of the way they're handling it, even though they're being responsible versus it feels like the more constrictive or, or maybe like fear-mongering way that it's being presented to the United States. And we also have, you know, the highest incidences of Corona and and, and deaths related to it. So I'm wondering, you know, how their methodology of like being lax is actually working out better than whatever it is that we're doing. And I don't have the answer to that. It's just an interesting question. Yeah, I think that uh, fear in itself is an epidemic. And when you invoke fear in anyone, you're really creating a space where cortisol is high, where stress is high. And we all know that stress is actually the number one killer. And when we're stressing people out and, you know, literally putting a lot of people out of work, giving them, you know, this... (laughs) this really sad story about, you know, not, not really having any leadership, not really having any set plan of action. It's kind of just been a lot of drama. And I think that that is probably the reasoning behind the highest number of infected. And I think it's climbing to be the highest number of death as well. And I think the bottom line really is that, you know, the U S is not a healthy country, Mm. you know, like, there's a lot of obesity, there's a lot of hypertension, there's a lot of, you know, all types of different ailments. And so it's really sad to see, but it is what it is, you know, we, we got to be mindful and be the lights that we can be within our communities to uplift people to healthy eating, to uplift people to new ways of thinking, breathing, being, you know, because I think that now more than ever, we really got to think about what we put in our bodies, we really got to think about how we use our bodies And we really got to take an initiative to be our most healthy, best selves. I 100% agree. And thank you for laying out the, the kind of like breadth of it, because it's, it's not just one thing, it's lots of things. And that's why it goes back to what I was saying about Andrew being a yogi in the grandest sense of the word, you know, he's a, he's a vegan and he eats well and he also engages in mindfulness practices and leads people in that. And if you were to look at his Instagram page, you may fall in with the traditional thinking or at least Western thinking about yoga, that it's asana because he does these really amazing poses, but it's a holistic way of interacting with life. It's about being in communion with life. And from my experience, it's usually some sort of healing that someone was looking for that started them along the path of becoming a yogi. And I'm curious for you, you know, where you came from and then what were the things that propelled you into the place you are now? Yeah. So my family is originally from Barbados. So I grew up, you know, a little Rasta baby with dreadlocks until the time that I was 17 and, you know, running around playing soccer and basically had the beginning phases of my life be very much so guided by the Rastafarian reggae, Irie, hippie culture. And so I would say that I grew up in a very liberal household where my parents were very open to me being who I wanted to be, yet at the same time, very dedicated to living a life that was very simple. You know, my dad owned a record shop in San Diego and La Jolla called Irie Nation. And then my mom was a backup singer for a recording artist by the name of Rocky Dauni, who's a really incredible reggae artist. And, you know, I grew up very, very simple, you know, like in the backyard, helping to dig uh, trenches so that we could make really beautiful gardens and, you know, picking all the fruit from the garden. Then, you know, my family moved to like the Valley area, you know, central or not central coast, <laughs> the, the San Fernando Valley of California when I was about seven years old. And then, you know, went to middle school, high school, there, elementary school, Stag Street Elementary School, where their motto was never settle for less than your best. And essentially like my mom always made sure that my, my education 
was the best. Like she was really, really deeply rooted in education and making sure that I had all the resources that I needed to be able to succeed to the best of my ability. And I learned from an early age that, you know, what we do now affects us later. And if we really take our time to do it to the best of our ability now, then it'll be the building box, the foundation that we need to be able to build on later. And so from an early age, I was very, very disciplined. Like I was one of those kids who, like I was doing my own laundry at like the age of 10 and 11. Like, you know, I was folding all my own clothes and I had two little sisters by the age of 10. I had a little baby sister named Myrie and then another one named Grace. And they were basically like, like my children as well. I was like very much so put into this space of realizing that as a brother, I would have to be there to take care of them when both my parents were gone working because my stepdad was actually in the recording musical industry as well. And so he was, you know, running around at meetings and all types of releases and this kind of stuff. He was working for Virgin Records back in the day. And my mom was, you know, still in the music industry as well. So I was oftentimes left with my little sisters, taking care of them, changing diapers, putting them to sleep, rocking them to bed, feeding them, you know, making sure that their binkies were clean, all that kind of stuff. So um, from an early age, it was really instilled in me that the family was key and that we all had to be our best versions of ourselves so that we could consistently thrive together. And I feel like that really transitioned me into a space where I realized that, you know, each and everything that you do is really a, a microcosm of the macrocosm because how you do anything is how you do everything. So I learned that from a very young age and that led to, you know, good grades, getting into better schools, going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, studying microbiology. And then I was led to yoga when I was 19 in my second year of college during the summer actually in between my my first and my second year during the summer i had a girlfriend of mine who was a really awesome tennis player and i at the time had an ankle injury and she was like hey if you keep sitting on the bench then you know you're not going to heal anytime soon you really need to go to yoga come to yoga with me and i was like oh you know yoga's for girls i don't do yoga <laughs> she was like no 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 like you definitely need to come with yoga with me otherwise if you continue to sit on the bench your body's going to atrophy when you get back on the field you're not going to be any better if anything you'll be worse I was like, huh, that makes sense, <laughs> you know? And so I went with her to this Bikram yoga class. Have you ever been to a Bikram yoga class? Yeah, I have. Yeah, so you know, it's like 105 degrees, 90% humidity. You're yeah. just like sitting there pouring <laughs> wet. And it was really intense. I was in the corner where the heater was because I was the last person in the class and literally just sitting there looking at myself in the mirror, completely humbled, at, you know, people double my age doing things that I couldn't do. I couldn't touch my toes. I could barely even touch my kneecaps, let alone my toes, because my back was so tight and my hips were so tight from sprinting. And I was just humbled, you know, for like the latter end of the class, I was just in child's pose, sweating on my mat, looking at everybody do the things that I couldn't do. And immediately it was like a, an ego thing. It was like, a, oh, like I can't be, you know, this collegiate athlete and not be able to do this stuff. And after class, the teacher came up to me and he was like, oh, that was, that was a really good class. That was, that was a good job. You didn't, you didn't even leave the class. And I was like, yeah, yeah, thank you. He's like, yeah, you should definitely check out the 30-day challenge. So I did a 30-day challenge. You know, my, my ego at the time was like, yeah, let's go 30 days, you know, <laughs> went to every single day. And then by the end of that 30 days, I had realized that my grades got better, my stress like went down and like just my, my coping mechanisms, like, you know, like how I was able to like, like, you know, when things get in your way and instead of like being upset by them, just like taking a deep breath <sighs> and then kind of like looking at the situation and taking my time and I realized my relationships got better and everything was just getting better. So I went on to do another two 30 day challenges and ended up doing a hundred days of Bikram yoga. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of Bikram yoga. Yeah. Yeah. And there were towards the end, I was doing double days too. Cause there was like people that would go two and three times a day. And I was like, Oh, I want to be like them, you know? And then I was realizing like, it really clears you out. It really brings you into a space where your mind and your body are so aligned that 
it's like your intention just flows through you. And so that was the, the consistency led to that, that realization. And from that realization, I just kept practicing. Mm. That's amazing. I feel like devotion to anything is very powerful. If you commit to doing something for a hundred days, it's going to transform your life. But specifically yoga, asana and Bikram, I could definitely see how that could be incredibly transformative. So after you did the hundred days and you realized you really loved it, what was your next step? Because I, I know you became a yoga teacher at some point. Was that soon after that? Or did you continue to practice and explore other types? Or Yeah, it was, it was actually very soon after that. So after I finished the 100 days, I was working for a company called MindBody. And MindBody did uh, software for all the yoga studios. And essentially, MindBody, they reached out to me because I was doing really well as a cold caller. I was cold calling all these different companies and it just so happened that one of the managers at MindBody was also a Bikram yoga teacher. So she had seen me at class and she was like, oh, you know, like I work over at MindBody too. If you'd like, you know, to come in early, I'd give you some tips if you want some tips on how to get more sales. So I would go in early and like listen to her cold call and like get more tips on how to get more sales. And so I was doing really well on the sales board. And essentially she was like, oh, you know, there's this yoga journal conference coming up and you're doing really good in yoga sales. I want to take you out there to really get an idea as to how to sell directly to these different yoga, you know, all different types of yoga studio owners, uh, multi-franchised yoga studios and their managers, just so you can speak the language a little bit better. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I go to yoga journal, San Diego, and I'm sitting there at the mind body office desk and, you know, giving people demos of the yoga studio, uh, software and showing them how it works and for checking and all this jazz. And she's like, Oh, you know, I'm going to hang out with my friend at the booth today. This is the last day of the whole entire conference. And she's like, you know, my friend's pregnant. So like, if you want to go like jam, you know, go take a few yoga classes. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. I was like, which one should I take? Cause I had never taken any yoga classes other than a Bikram yoga class. And now I'm at this yoga journal conference with all these different teachers whose names I don't know. And I was just like, oh, this is going to be an interesting one, you know? And so essentially, I had the opportunity to take Sean Korn's class and Dharma Mitra and David Swenson. Mm. Have you heard of any of those teachers? Dharma Mitra, yeah. Yeah, so, so Dharma Mitra is incredible. He's like, at the time, I think he was like 75 years old. Mm doing no handed headstands, literally with his arms by his sides, balancing on the crown of his head. And, you know, I, the, the first class I actually took was David Swinson's class and he's a hardcore Ashtangi. So first off, I didn't even know what Ashtanga was. And, you know, he's like teaching my source style Ashtanga, which means like you're, you're guided through it and he comes over and gives you adjustments. And I'm just like looking around, like trying to copy everything one, doing my best. And he came over and he's like, you're doing great, you know? And he was really funny, like really just like super exuberant and like outgoing and super hilarious and just looking around and like, everyone's like, you know, looking at me like this kid does not know what he's doing, but he was so kind. And I was like, wow, like this guy's so generous and giving his time to me. And I'm a newbie, you know, like I'm not like these experienced people. And then uh, the next class that I went to after that was Dharma Mitra's class. And Dharma Mitra's class was like, he's demoing everything. He's up there at 75 years old, like doing Ekapada Raja Kapatasana, like grabbing his foot, you know, bringing his foot to his head. And I'm just like, what? Like this guy is wild. Like, you know, like I got to really give my best. And, you know, I was doing down dogs and that kind of stuff. And this is the first time I had ever done a down dog. And he came over and gave me an adjustment. I remember, and he just like put his hands on my sacrum and just like pushed. And I was like, oh my goodness, my hamstrings, like, you know, like you just get this like, oh, And that class was hardcore. Like that was my first true vinyasa class where I was like, this is wild. He teaches like a Hatha vinyasa mix, like where you do both sides, but then also like you're flowing through. And it was magic, pure magic. And then the next class that I took was Sean Korn's class. And Sean Korn is an absolutely magical woman. She has a beautiful, long, curly hair mane. And she's just like, so powerful she's one of those women who like you realize like 
that woman knows what's up. Like Mm. she's so in tune with her feminine and her masculine and so in tune with being able to speak her voice fully. And she really brought forth this idea that yoga can be activism because her whole class was based on, you know, what you do is, is literally going to follow you throughout your life. So make sure that these actions are done with the best of your ability. You know, what you eat is yoga, how you stay up and, and stand up for your rights is yoga, you know? And so she was like yoga activist and she really hit home to me. And, and there were so many things that she touched on that at the end of the class, I was crying. I was like full on in tears because I had never been to a yoga class that really challenged me to question why I did what I did. And so that, that really brought some deep realization for me. And from that class, I was like, I really, I really want to learn more about yoga. So I went back to my desk at MindBody after that week and or after that weekend. And it was like a Wednesday and I like called up a few yoga studios and like no one had any teacher trainings. And then I finally asked a woman who was at the office, uh, MindBody office, her name was Roxy. She owned a yoga teacher, uh, yoga studio. And I was like, hey, Roxy, are there any uh, yoga teacher trainings coming up that you know of in the area? She's like, yeah, there happens to be one starting on Friday at the yoga center. You should check them out. Um, Jen Bobbitt and these other people own it and they're really sweet down to earth people and like you should totally check it out. So I call them up. They're like, oh, wow, we only have one spot left. And yeah, you can totally jump into it. It starts this Friday. It's like Wednesday. I'm like, wow, it starts this Friday. Okay, like let's do this, you know? And the whole reason that I signed up for it was I just wanted to learn more about yoga. Like I just wanted to understand like what was really happening in the body, what was really happening in the mind as you're going through these different postures because I felt it in my own body and I felt the change. And so essentially I signed up for this yoga teacher training. I go in Friday night thinking that it's just like, you know, a Bikram yoga class. Like they're going to, you know, sit there and give you some postures and you're going to go over the postures. They're going to be doing a lot of yoga practice. So I go in there with my little short purple Bikram yoga shorts and I'm like, yeah, like I'm ready to go. And I'm like a little bit late. And, uh, I walk in and there's this like six foot seven black guy, this guy, Rocky Heron. And he's, He's like, look at him. He's like, you must be Andrew. And I was like, yes. He's like, "Uh, well, you're going to need a notebook and we're not doing any asana today. So you'll probably put on some clothes. And I was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) That was my my first intro to my my yoga teacher training. And it was an absolutely incredible experience. My mind was blown. Rocky was actually uh, really genuine, down to earth, super sweet. At first I was really intimidated because first off I had like this, this, you know, like when you think of yoga teacher, you think like, you know, blonde white woman, you know, like, or at least that's what I was thinking about, you know, like some, some, you know, yoga woman, you know, yoga girl. And then, and it just so happened that it was like a a tall black guy. And I was like, like, this is so interesting. And he was so deeply rooted in his practice that when he was teaching, just being able to see the anatomy of his body as he's teaching the different asanas was absolutely incredible. And it really brought me to an understanding that to really embody the postures brings forth a deeper understanding to the actual practice of the yoga as far as the asanas go. And then when it comes to being able to show someone, to demo something to someone, it's like that sense of biomimicry, like that being able to actually see someone's body do the action makes it that much more tangible for you to be able to embody it as well. So that's one thing that I really loved with his teaching style. And my first yoga teacher training was like whole new world opened up to me. Mm. Wow, that's an amazing story and what really stands out to me or one of the things that really stands out is just like how maybe at the beginning to the doorway to each new path that there was like a little bit of resistance but then you would move through it and keep going like after your ankle was hurt and the woman suggested you go to yoga you're like nah that's not for me and then she was like no come on it'll make you a better athlete and stronger and even though you were kind of a beginner and felt uncomfortable, 
you did it and then you committed to it for a hundred days, which to me is, is rare, you know, like people may enjoy a new practice, but they don't dive in, in that way. And then for you to get a teacher training suggested to you on a Wednesday and then begin it on a Friday, it's just like another, just like testament to your way of interacting with life. You just like go all in and yeah, I think that's really inspiring. Yeah, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. I, I really feel like the more that we're able to truly make a decision, the more that we're able to amplify the energy that we can devote to that, which is our decision. And, you know, if you're wishwashy or you're kind of like, oh, I don't know about this or like, just don't do it. Like if, if you if you have a question about it, if it's taking you that long to be able to process, if you're not really 100% towards it, then don't do it. But if you do feel that intuition that's within you saying, let's go, like, let's do this, like, take the initiative, start it and stay committed to it. Because the only way to really see progress is to really stay committed to it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've been so just adamant about presenting steps in a, in a dedicated way. So it's like, if you're going to start a yoga program with me, it's the 30 days to handstand, you know, it's like 30 days, like you're committing yourself to 30 days of learning how to do this handstand. Mm. It's not just going to be, you know, here's a few tips and tricks of how to do your handstand. So you kick up against the wall and fall, and then you're not going to do it again. It's like, dedicate yourself. Like, let's see what you can create with a deeper sense of commitment. Mm. And I think that is a huge uh, learning point that a lot of people I feel are learning right now because it's like they're stuck in their homes. They're committed now to having to look at themselves every single day, having to look at their job every single day, having to look at whatever it is that's right there. Like it could even be, you know, your partner, your lover, your, your family every single day. And now you have to make a conscious choice as to, is that really what you want? Is that really the type of relationship that you want to foster with your mom, your dad? Is that the type of relationship that you want to foster with your significant other? Is this the type of diet that you want to have? Is this the type of, you know, home you want to live in, you know? And so like all of these things are so, so in our face right now, so like tangible, so right there that we have to make a decision on how we wish to show up in the world. And I think that that is really what this whole quarantine thing has been for the whole world is like, is this what you want to do? Is this what you want to commit to? And if so, then show us, you know, like really like take it to the next level. And I feel like for a lot of people who are already in their passion, who are already in their creative zone, this has been like, oh, like, oh, a breath of fresh air. I can see the big picture now. Wow. Like, this is what I can really create with what I've been doing. Mm. And for those of us who have been out of alignment are now like, oof, like getting through those growing pains of like, oh, I got to get, I got to let go of that. I can't be, you know, waking up every single morning and drinking a Red Bull or I can't be waking up every single morning and, you know, not showering and playing video games all day. Like, you know, like there, there's all these different spectrums, I would say, of this. But I think that really we're, we're getting to see our true reflection. And because we are seeing that true reflection, we now are like, okay, we got to clean up this mirror. And now after I clear up that mirror, like I'm really going to work on myself. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, it is a, a wonderful opportunity to create clarity and to develop focus and devotion. Because I feel like the age we live in provides us with limitless opportunity, right? Like in, in so many channels, right? Like you could look mm -hmm. on social media and click on a hashtag and go down a rabbit hole in any direction on the internet for forever. Or you could turn on the TV and go on any direction forever. And the issue is, is people allowing themselves to be guided down certain paths without consciously choosing what feels in alignment with them. Because what feels in alignment is going to be unique to every individual because we're all different and we all have a unique path. But being able to say, this invigorates my spirit, this inspires me, and therefore I'm going to show up and let it transform me is a, is a powerful revolutionary act in this time. Definitely. You hit the nail on the head, you know, really making that decision and then committing to it and like really doing it with a deeper sense of 
direction, focus, intuition, like that alignment is really what I feel creates the difference between those who succeed and those who are just constantly trying, trying, trying. It's like if you really dedicate your time, your intention, your energy towards whatever you wish to achieve, you're going to achieve it. It may take a few setbacks. It may take a few roadblocks. It may even take a few speed bumps, but you're going to achieve it because it's that resilience, that commitment, that dedication, that devotion that really sets apart those who are resilient and thus shine to those who, you know, are just kind of stagnant. Mm. That's amazing. Thanks for that message. My soul, my soul takes it in. So I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the program you have, the 30 days to handstand, and I've seen a commercial or a trailer for it, you know, so could you explain more about it and would it work for somebody who wasn't, you know, already a yogi? Is it like accessible to yeah. everyone or? Yeah. Yeah. We have literally, we have our, our eldest person who's been able to find their handstand from literally not even doing any handstands. She's 54 years old to our youngest person is 15 year old uh, boy who's in Germany, who's just now getting his handstand. And it's really for people for all walks of life. I feel that handstanding is a simile or a metaphor for putting life in your own hands. Mm. Because essentially your body is your life and to take your body and put it upside down and to put it onto your two hands, which are you know, these smaller than feet things that are not spe specifically meant for weight bearing for long periods of time, but you can, you know, you can totally do it. And to really feel what it feels like to be upside down, to really feel what it feels like to really have all of that balance, all of that breath, all of that brilliance in your palm is a magical state. And I always tell people like, it feels good. Like the only reason that I do handstands is because literally it gets you high on a vibrational frequency that is different than seated meditation. Mm. It's different than anything else that I've ever experienced. And I think that it really is a combination of the inversion, the spinal decompression, and also the deep sense of presence that it takes to be able to find that balance upside down and to breathe into that balance and to really feel what it feels like to have your body align in that balance. And it's, it's magical, man. And I love being able to share it with people. And I love being able to see people achieve things that they haven't thought were possible. And the whole reason that I set up the 30 days for handstand is because I had so many friends ask me like, oh my goodness, how do you do a handstand? Like, come on, man, teach me. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh goodness, like all my time could be used teaching privates one by one by one, or I could actually come out with something that's a system that I really take the time to put forth all of the steps needed, all of the actual muscle awareness, the body awareness, even just down to how to place your hands on the ground to make it most efficient. All of that I've taken the time to do to make sure that people can actually use the information, no matter what type of body they have, no matter their experience, no matter where they're from, whatever it is, like, mm. it doesn't matter. Like, try it for 30 days. And honestly, if you don't like it, you can get your money back. It's completely fine. No worries. But it has been absolutely successful for hundreds of people. So I'm really excited. If not thousands, I think it's actually where I think we just broke a thousand. Like, we're yeah. At like, yeah, I think we're at like a, a thousand seven hundred people who have actually finished the course, which is great. That's amazing. I'm inspired. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I'm going to do it. Dude, I'll, I'll get you. I'll send it to you. You can, yes, I got you. I got okay. you. I'll yeah. just get your email after this and I'll send it to you. Definitely. Okay. Wonderful. Don uh, in a handstand. Baby. <laughs> it's time to do it. Yeah. Cause I haven't, it, you know, I did my yoga teacher training last year and I've definitely integrated more of the yoga philosophy into my life. And I, and that's beautiful. But I wouldn't, I haven't like mastered the asana practice in the way that you have. Like I'm not able to take, you know, a picture of me doing a beautiful pose and be like, wow, look at that. Look at what I can do with my body. And that's not all that yoga is about. But I do think that there is an embodiment aspect that yoga helps you to tap into because 
we are divine beings having an embodied experience. So the more embodied you are, I just think the more flow you create, the more a sense of control, not in a bad way, but just like power you have in, in crafting your own life. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel like uh, a lot of people, especially nowadays are like, they're adverse to the word control. And I'm like, control is beautiful. Like it's great to have control when you're on the freeway, right? It's great to have control of your car. Why not have control of your body? Right. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you live in this thing for your whole entire life. Like right, right. why not be able to control it upside down? Why not be able to control it when you step your foot forward into a warrior one? Like why not be able to balance on one foot in a tree pose? Right. Why not? <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I, I'm sold. So I'm curious, you know, you were mentioning the idea that if you commit to something, you will achieve it. And maybe you have some setbacks or speed bumps, but if you stay devoted, you would achieve it. So you're someone who has achieved, you know, international success on your path. And I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to share like one of your major setbacks on the journey and what you learned from the experience. Yeah, totally. I mean, major setback. I would say I haven't I haven't had any I haven't had any really like memorable quote unquote setbacks from my yoga journey. I would say like since I started practicing yoga, I think a lot of things have been revealed to me that that they're not setbacks. They're just kind of like slowdowns. They're like, you know, slow down. You're going too fast. Take your time. But I would say my, my, my most memorable setback, like the time that I can remember, like really being in like a real funk, like, Oh, like, what did I, why did I decide to do this was when I was driving back and forth from La Jolla, San Diego, all the way to Laguna. And then from Laguna, all the way to North Hollywood. And I was doing this to be able to teach yoga classes because I, I really, I felt that at the time, like my, my reputation was based on how I could show up in public classes. And that's all I wanted to do was teach yoga to people. And so I got these jobs that were all around California that are like literally two and a half to three hours away from each other. And I would drive all the way down there to, you know, go teach this class and then drive up there to go teach that class. And it was uh, a lot of stress, uh, you know, being on the freeway for that amount of time. I was in a 1957 Volkswagen and it just so happened that I went to go get an oil change in Costa Mesa and was driving up to sleep in my parents' house in Granada Hills so that I can go teach my class in North Hollywood the next day. And if you guys are familiar with California, those are all like two and a half hours away from each other. And essentially, I let the the people who were repairing my car, they were high when they were doing it, like literally, probably not just on cannabis either, knowing these guys. And they just so happened to forget to put this little bolt that goes inside of the wheel. And in a 1957 Volkswagen, it's that little bolt is all that holds the wheel onto the axle. And I was going about 75 miles per hour right past LAX in LA. And, you know, like when you go those little like inclines on the freeway, where like, you know, where you kind of like bump up, it's like, whoa, boom, you know? And so I go over one of those and it's like, whoa, and then like all of a sudden there's sparks flying. I'm looking in the rear view mirror, my wheel falls off. Wow. And then I'll, like before I can even think, my car just veers over, hits the side divider spins out like four different times and then crashes into the other side of the freeway and the rear end of the vehicle which is where the engine is just completely compresses and i'm looking in the back like all disheveled like touching my body like making sure that i'm alive and i remember just like my shins were just bleeding because the the steering wheel on a 1957 volkswagen is just all steel so literally my shins just smashed into the steering wheel i still have scars to this day that are just like <laughs> they're, they're pretty vicious scars, but long story short, I, I was bleeding from my shins. I was like, Oh, like I'm still okay. I'm okay. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm okay. I called my mom. I'm like, mom, I'm alive. She's like, what, what are you talking about? I was like, Oh, I'm on the freeway. The wheel fell off. And she's like, what? I was like, 
yeah, but it's okay. I'm alive. <laughs> and so I was just in shock, you know, and she's like, oh my goodness, I'm calling an ambulance. Where are you? I was like, oh, like I'm on the freeway by the LAX. Basically, the, the, the moral of the story was that actually I left my backpack in the car while it's catching fire. And I remember that in my backpack was my computer that had all these interviews from all of these yoga teachers that I had just started to interview. Because mm. I was like, oh, like I want to be able to take the knowledge from all these yoga teachers and share it with you know, the world. I want people to be able to understand you know, these are these really incredible people who inspire people all around the world to practice a deeper sense of self-realization, a deeper sense of knowing who they are and what they're here to do. And so I had like four interviews, like Sianna Sherman, Sean Korn, all these people who had just inspired me to practice yoga. And I was like, oh, I got to get that backpack. I climbed back in the window, grabbed the backpack, car is like firing up right now. And literally like the ambulance and everybody came and like the fire people put out the fire on the back of the engine. And I just remember like having that backpack and feeling like so good that I had that backpack because it was like, that was my key to doing something else other than just teaching yoga. Mm. And when I started that podcast, that's really when everything started to blossom with, with me. I mean, like I started to be able to go to different yoga festivals and interview different teachers. And it just really allowed me to create a community, a community around something that I was so passionate about. And at the time, podcasting wasn't as big as it is now. You know, people were listening to podcasts, but it wasn't as uh, prominent as it is now. And from building the Yoga Revealed podcast, I also, you know, expanded into Instagram and all this other stuff. And it's like that little seed that was planted of like to share this knowledge, to, to, to give this, to impart on this wisdom to others. That was the catalyst that really brought me out of that funk of only teaching a bunch of yoga classes on, you know, a class to class basis. And I would say that that was like the biggest setback that was uh, essentially a really big, like slap in the head, like, come on, like, what are you doing right now? Like you could be doing this podcasting thing. You could be doing Instagram. You can do all this online work. And literally from there has allowed me to create a platform that is Andrew Seven Seeley, that is Yoga Revealed, that is 30 Days to Handstand, that has now allowed me to be able to be profitable, but also have peace of mind while I'm traveling the world, while I'm helping to teach and while I'm donating to kids, like I have now a surplus of energy to be able to share. And I think that's where we all can get. And that's the beauty of life is really being able to tap into those little moments that seem like setbacks and to realize that there's actually a seed of complete and utter success that's there. All you have to do is water it. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I haven't heard that story yet. And that is a crazy story. I didn't know you had a near-death experience like that. Yeah, but man. It was also yeah. a, a powerful redirection and a rebirth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. It was. So when, when was that? That was in 2000 and I want to say 2011. Yeah, I was 21. Yeah. Yeah, 2011. Okay. Wow. I remember because like right after that, I, I got this, this message from my friend Heidi who owns Xanadu and they wanted me to come and teach acro yoga. And I, I decided right after that, literally like right after that whole crash incident to move to Seattle. And I was like, oh, I'm going to start another software job. And like I had just launched the podcast, like I had just started interviewing other teachers in Seattle. And uh, yeah, I was 21 years old. It was it was, it was pretty wild. I had like interviewed like Patrick Beach and Mackenzie Miller, these Seattle teachers. And yeah, it was, it was, yeah, 21 was a, a big, a big year. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. 2011. I think that's the same year I started Souls of Society. It was Souls of San Francisco then because that's where I lived. I wasn't doing podcasting at that point. It was just taking pictures and telling stories, walking around the street. But sounds like that was a powerful year for spirit to be initiating us into certain paths. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, what I hear mirrored in your path that mirrors my path is the idea of connecting with people in order to get inspired and to learn and then finding a way to share that to create a community. So yeah. I feel like sharing is, is what humans are here to do. Right. Like we really got to share our stories to be able to relate to one another. 
And then through that relation, we realize that we're all one and that, you know, we're really meant to be successful together. We're really meant to uplift each other. We're really meant to go through this process of awakening together. Right. And, you know, I'm sure you didn't know in 2011 that you were going to have the type of success you had with the podcast or on Instagram or with the 30 days to handstand challenge. But I think that should be inspiring to anyone who's looking to start something or just started something like you don't have to know where it's going as long as it's coming from an authentic place where you feel inspired and you're sharing your wisdom and inspiration. And then you just meet the opportunities as they come. Like you said, your friend Heidi asked you to teach acro, right? And that was the next step. It's like Mm -hmm. the next step will be made available to you at the right time. Your purpose is just to be present with what is bringing you into the deepest expression of life at that moment. Bam. That's the golden nugget right there. Just be present. Boom. Yeah. It's, it's easy to project into the future or the past. And you know, it's, it's such a cliche thing to just be present, but it's so true. And, and that goes back to what you were saying about learning how to recognize that what you do now affects what happens later, right? Because yes, we want to create certain outcomes for our life, but we don't achieve them by being focused in the future. We achieve them by being present right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the key. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So you've been doing the podcast for nine years. Wow, that's almost a 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been a long time, man. And and the funny thing about it is like, you know, like when you look at something and you're like, that's that's it's still just a passion project. Like we we barely do any advertisement. We're not really we're not really looking to make money from it. It's just like a it's just a way to be able to create a community around something that we all really care about. And I feel like you know, now more than ever, we really need to create community about things that we care about. Mm. I totally agree. I think what I've been learning to do is let go of who receives it. Like, don't worry about that and just focus on the giving and the giving from the purest place and to let whatever happens, happens with it. And that feels the most fulfilling and the most sustainable way to create for me. Well, I feel that that is really how we are supposed to create, mm. supposed to, you know, like, like really like from a place of realizing that the fruits of our labor are meant to be given to humanity and to God. Like it's not, it's not ours. All of this, all this accumulation is I think what is beginning to disintegrate right now mm. is you know, the material wealth, the luxury the having too much while others have too little. And mm. So that balance is coming back into harmony. And I feel strongly that the more that we as individuals can bring a balance within our own bodies, within our own minds, within our own experience of how we're sharing value, the more that we can really be in harmony with how nature is sharing value and thus continue to thrive alongside nature rather than pushing against or trying to control. There's a mic drop right there. (laughs) That is the call of this time, I feel like. And that resonates with me personally as well. You know, I feel like the greatest moments that I experience are the moments of connection and union and actual experience and not in material accumulation, even though that's what I and a lot of people, especially in the West, have been groomed to want, right? But that's not actually creating the depth of interconnection that I think we all long for. So thank you for putting it so eloquently. Thank you. Thank, so, you. thank you for allowing me to be able to share, man. This, is, this has been a great opportunity to be able to really voice some of the thoughts that have been in my head. Well, you did so very well. I mean, I can already hear a lot of sound bites that I'm going to take from this. And, you know, just speaking to the podcast and the podcasting idea in general for anyone who's out there, 
having this conversation with somebody that I respect is inspiring to me. And then when I edit it and get to re-listen to all the inspiring things that he said in this podcast, that helps me ground them more deeper into my being. So I just invite you to think about it as a way to learn and to grow, right? Because yes, this, there's information like this, you know, maybe on YouTube or in a book or something like this, but there's nothing like experiencing it from a living, breathing human being in the present moment. So just an invitation for whoever's listening to take the leap and explore their own creativity. That's the truth, man. And I think that when you take the leap, the most important thing that you can do is don't expect anyone to give you any handouts. Don't expect to have any sort of realization. Just be present to all the beauty that will unfold because it's the magic of being able to leap with a deep sense of faith that brings forth that magic of freedom. Mm. And I, I think that that is really what we, we got to step into these days is more of the having faith and taking the leap, not being afraid, not looking for, you know, all of these people to be supporting you or, you know, you to get a sponsor right off the bat or whatever it is. It's like, don't do it for that. All that is frivolous. It's all going to come when it's meant to be there. But really doing it with a deep sense of faith, knowing that it's the right thing to do because that is what you truly want to do. Mm. And that's when the magic of freedom will come to you. Amen, brother. I appreciate you. I'm going to take the leap and start that 30 days to handstand. Let's go. <laughs> yes. I'm so grateful for your presence and your, your time and for you just blessing us by coming on. So thank you so much. Blessings indeed, Dijon. I really appreciate you. I love seeing your light and love to see you continue to shine bright. And I'm even more excited to see you in a handstand soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will post my progress on Instagram and tag you so you can see. Dope. I appreciate it. All right, my brother, anything you want to share before we sign off here? I feel that each and every one of us is divine. And the more that we can tap into time to truly shine, the more that we can truly touch that which is divine. And you are divine. Know that. Mm. Be that. Live that. Amen. All right. Thank you to Andrew. If you want to connect with him on Instagram, it's Andrew 7 Seeley. We'll also put some links in the show notes. I hope you soak all this in. Have a blessed day, family. Thank you. Namaste. We hope you enjoyed that episode. This is what we're all about at Souls of Society. If you feel inspired right now, share this with one of your friends. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. And most importantly, embody your soul by living in your heart. It's our time. It's our time for harmony, togetherness, and peace. Much love.